Mark chapter 1, in the middle of a busy day, we're going to pick up where that day left off uh, in just a moment after we ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, we always like to pause before we open your word. We acknowledge that it's inerrant, it's perfect, it is supernatural work, not produced by any man, but it is the God-breathed supernatural living word of God sent to show us the way to be saved, to renew our minds, to give us life. We look to it now as what it is, the word of God. And help us, Holy Spirit, not to just be listeners and hearers only and deceive ourselves and think that's enough, but to be doers of the word, to put it into practice so we can be a blessing to others and be blessed ourselves. In Christ's name, amen. amen. You remember the Gospel of Mark, right? <laughs> the Gospel of Mark, the shortest, fastest paced, moving account of Jesus' life and ministry, all the teachings and the miracles. And uh, of all four Gospels, Mark just jam packs it into essentially 10 chapters, because by the time you get to chapter 11, I don't know if you realize this or not, but chapter 11, we're already in the last week of Jesus' life that we call Passion Week. So Mark is going to tell you every significant thing about Jesus' miracles and all the incidents in his life and his teaching in 10 chapters. And maybe that's why the, the, the unique key word and, and it's surprising. It's a key word for the whole book of uh, Mark is and. That's the key word. Look it up in any commentary. The key word is and then, or sometimes translated immediately, and then. That's Mark. It's like an action-packed movie. It's like a Jason Bourne movie. It's just like just keeps coming at you. And then Jesus went there. And then Jesus did this. And then Jesus said that. <clears throat> And keeps your attention. And that is why many people often say, for a new believer, you should give them the gospel of Mark to start because it's so fast-paced and keeps your attention. With that said, uh, we are going to pick up in the midst of one of those very busy, action-packed days um, uh, when we continue. In fact, it's going to be after the synagogue. It's going to say, and then Jesus went immediately to his mother-in-law's house where she was sick and she had a fever and, and Jesus will heal her and a whole bunch of others will follow in the evening. And then it'll say, and then the next morning, and then the next morning comes and Jesus is not where he's supposed to be. They look for him, but he's out alone praying. So we're going to take a look at that. And then, and then immediately a leper comes up and, and throws terrible disease. He's just wasting away. Throws himself before Jesus and begs him, if you want to, you could make me clean. And so those are the three stories that, that end up concluding. Chapter 1 ends with those three uh, little episodes. And we're going to take a look at all three uh, this morning. And so uh, let me catch you up to what happened in the morning because we pick up at noontime, right? So five weeks ago, it was morning and uh, Jesus' team, there are so far four disciples named and they're in Capernaum, which is uh, Jesus' hometown and they went to the synagogue. So it's Saturday morning and for the Jews, that was like Sunday morning. Synagogue was like going to church. So they went to church and Jesus stands up to teach and they're amazed at the, such authority and the things he's saying. They had never heard words like that before. Well, because he's God in a human body. So, yeah, he's going to say things in a powerful, 
new and life-transforming way. But wait, that's not all. Then evil manifested itself in church, go figure, from one of the guys sitting on the pews, and he starts with the voice and the eyes rolling back, and Jesus just takes full control as the Son of God to put evil in its place. And he says, there in the Greek, it says, be muzzled. So he tells that demon, calls it out, and tells it to exit in silence and thank you. <laughs> and it obeys. And so the congregation is just buzzing. Who is this, they said. Remember? Who is this man? He can, he, he speaks with such authority. Not like the others. And he can give orders to evil spirits and they obey. Who is this, right? Well, Mark has already answered. He's the son of God. Fully man, fully God. He's the God man. Sent to save us. Come down to save us. To lay down his life on our behalf. It's a beautiful good news. That's why it's called the gospel. So immediately after church service, and what a service that was, it's time for lunch. And as soon, <laughs> there it is, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon is Peter, right? Peter, Jesus, when Simon came to him, he changed his name, gave him a nickname, called him uh, Rocky, really, is that's what Peter, that's what Peter means. So Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother, Peter's mother-in-law, was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So they went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demonized, demon-possessed people. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. I'm going to talk about that. That's exciting and interesting. So we're in the middle of a day in the life of Jesus, and, and Marco's just going to tell you, this is, this is the life, the life of ministry, endless brokenness, Endless emptiness, longings, unfulfilled, oppression and evil. Endless. There's just, it just goes on and on and on. And wonderful grace of God that meets us in our need. And so this was the life of Jesus. The love of God knows no bounds and the need of people also without boundaries. And so crowds... Needy, hurting people, broken lives. They're always knocking on the door of Jesus, following him, crowds threatening to crush him because they had what he had, what everybody was looking for. Really, the words of life. What did Peter say? You alone have the words of life. When Jesus spoke, your heart and your soul just opened up because that's the voice that that spoke and made the heavens and the earth. That's the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. And that explains when the Bible and the word of God is preached and taught. That is why your soul opens up. And it's not just like reading from Huckleberry Finn. It's like, what is that heaviness, that weight? That's because it's God speaking to a soul who was made by that very God. And so it's a wonderful thing to hear the word of God. And so there they were. They were in church. Uh, and they left. And it's time to have um, lunch. And then we have Jesus' first healing. And so let me talk about this. There will be 30 specific references to healing of individuals in the Gospels. About 30 of them. And then there will be, in the Gospels, the four Gospels, there'll be 20 mass healings. That is a summary saying, okay, uh, then Jesus healed 
a crowd and these kinds of illnesses were there and Jesus healed them. And we don't have a description so much of who and how many. We just have a summation. Now, this paragraph is an excellent example of that because you have a person individually who's going to receive a healing uh, from a fever, his mother. Peter's mother-in-law, and also you have reference in the evening to the mass of crowds coming where healing happens. What Every time we're going to see a healing, there's something beautiful to learn about God, his character, about the human condition, about how God intervenes in human lives, because he does his healings different, and, and he does so to teach something. And so sometimes he'll touch, like today. And, and the touching the leper is going to say something to you and to me. But sometimes, you know, like remember the time he, he used his own saliva and made mud. And he applied it to the blind man's eyes. And then he told him to go wash in a specific pool there in Jerusalem. Oh, that's, that's a sermon right there. And so he's got, and I'm so tempted right not to preach it. <laughs> uh, I'm overcoming the temptation, I think. <laughs> and so there's always, sometimes he'll, he'll interview a guy. He's laying there and he starts talking to him. So how long have you been like this? Do you really want to get well? Oh, that's telling me a lot about what's going on there, you know, see. So you know, it's not just, yeah, he healed a guy. Oh, we pay attention like we are going to today with the mother-in-law. It just speaks volumes. And so um, we're looking forward to the good things that we're going to learn. And so it's the Sabbath meal. It's Sunday supper time. You know, it's time church is over. It's time to go talk about all of that and eat some good food. And so um, the four of them, the two sets of brothers, we've got brothers here. We've got Peter and Andrew, and we've got James and John. They were all fishermen, and the Lord had just all been by the seashore, called them, and told them, I'm going to make you really good at attracting people to heaven. You'll be fishing for men's souls. And so they've been tagging along. They're the first four disciples here. And they went to church. And then now Peter, it's Peter's home. He's hosting the, the brothers and the Lord Jesus into the home for lunch. And so the first thing I want you to see is that Peter had a family. If he had a mother-in-law, it means he had a wife. And if he had a wife, he probably had children. He had a family. And what that said to me is, wow, I admire this guy. I, I, as a full-time gospel kind of guy called to be in the ministry, I realized, wow, what a cost to Peter's family. Now, true, they hung up and hang out, rather. They hang out. They hung out at <laughs> Capernaum. <laughs> is Jesus' hometown. So he did 80% of his ministry there. So he's close, peterably close to his family. But I'll tell you what, those disciples, man, and God calls a lot of people. When he calls you into a full-time vocational ministry, there's a cost. And I just thought, wow. You know, I'll never forget uh, leaving my little kids and, at night because there was a call that had to. It wasn't something that I could not answer, and my kids looking at me and saying, Daddy, no, no, Daddy, a knife. And I just started thinking, wow, there's a cost and a sacrifice. And Jesus said in Matthew 19 to guys like Peter, there's recompense for that. Anybody who has a specific calling that causes you a hardship to follow, he says, I'll recompense you a hundredfold. He said, in this life, and in the life to come. But I just thought it was really an awesome thing to, to realize, man, this guy's got a family. He's got to pay bills. He's got to have concerns. He's got to juggle being Peter the apostle and uh, being a, um, a family guy, right? And so you'll notice that they arrived there, and they, they first of all, I, I just noticed right away, uh, Jesus is welcome, and he's invited to go along from church to the home. Now, now, that's obvious because Jesus was physically visible there, right? And he's in tow, but he's, he's, he's with us spiritually. 
as well? Do we welcome, do we take them from this setting to outside in the car, driving to lunch, and then, or do we compartmentalize our lives to where Jesus is a church thing. Sunday morning, he's front and center, and I feel warm toward him, and I'm a Christian and all of that. And then when I get home and there's a need, and, and I just forget about Jesus. He's not invited. He's not welcome. No, there's a, we all know in our heads, God is always with us. Christ is with us wherever we go. He's, he's in us by the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between that and living and acknowledging well, that the Lord is, is here. That's different. And, and don't leave here. Get in your car door and go on to your secular life. That's a mistake. And you are going to forfeit the blessings of having Jesus acknowledged in all your ways, acknowledge him. Do you see? I mean, not in an obnoxious, crazy, imbalanced way. You know what I'm saying. And so uh, I like that. Who knows? I mean, when Jesus is at a lunch, man, you know, that's a power lunch right there. Right? That's what I'm saying. So he, listen, they tell him about her. He's the all-knowing God. He knows all about her. He knows the sickness. I mean, why is it in there? He has to be told because that's what God likes. He's going to, to be passive. He doesn't say, hey, by the way, let me tell you, your mother-in-law's down and your wife can't serve the meal because she's dead. He waits until we say, oh, Lord, let me tell you about this. I have a loved one who's burdened down and it's serious. The Greek word is to be fevered, to be fired. The fired, if fire and fever is a, is a verb, she's fired with it, you, you see, and it was a serious deal. But they tell him. And oftentimes, I don't know what it is about us, but we just assume he already knows, so I don't have to say anything, or, you know, we don't tell him. And James says, you know, half of the reason you don't have that thing is because you didn't bother to just tell and share your heart and open up. Thank God he works in our lives when we don't tell him things. If it was dependent that we tell him every little thing, none of us would have uh, very much, right? But God is so gracious. But I'm telling you what, invite him into the home. Talk to him. Tell them about the person, your loved one, who's down for the count, who's serious, who needs a touch from God. And just watch what he can do. Let's tell him and see what happens. And immediately you see Jesus takes action. And boy, does he. In the Greek, it says he seized her hand. You know, showing the compassionate, caring, sympathetic heart of God. That's what we're going to see through the book of Mark. He cares. And when, when, it's, when he's welcomed, he's acknowledged in the home, he's informed of the situation, your hearts are there <clears throat> with the implied request, Lord, she's down, she's sick, she's on fire. Then he grabs and grasps. He's aggressive. He's not like kicked back. He cares about her. He cares about what you care about. He's burdened with our burdens, and he's going to make a difference. And you say, well, sometimes I don't see him grasping like that. Well, he's grabbing whether you feel it or not or see it or not. You know, spring's happening. There's a lot of blossoms. The, the, the buds are coming up and all of that. Do you know how much was going on before you ever saw anything just because you can't see the action happening doesn't mean nothing's happening. We just see the blossom. Oh, the blossom opened. Oh, it's open now. No, 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 no. For about a month, stuff's been going on, waking up inside there. You know what's going on in a bulb underground? You don't see it. The second Jesus is welcomed and in the house and in the mix. And you're saying, hey, let me tell you all about this. I know you know about it, but let me just share this burden with you. He grasps, he grabs on. Now, he may grab onto the hand and take that person all the way home and heal them all the way. Or he may just say, I got this thing, but I'm going to grab the hand and walk you through the thing and let the thing have." It's way because it's working something beautiful that you can't see now. But he'll always grab the hand. He's always there. 
Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Look at the psalm we read this morning. I mean, just incredible. And this is the heart. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Don't forget about his benefits. Who forgives all your sins, all of them, past, present, and future. He cares about you. He loves you. And heals all your diseases. Do you know how many diseases you've had in your life? And we just think we popped a few pills and yeah, you know, that took care of that. Do you know how many times you cut yourself and he causes our bodies to be able to heal as if you didn't cut yourself? Operations and broken bones. How many times measles, influenza, mumps, and all of these diseases? You could die of strep throat back in the day. But God blessed the technology and the doctors and the medicines, and he blesses that whole effort, and he's the one who's been healing all your diseases to begin with. And yes, one of these days, one of us is going to end it, and we're going to begin a life in eternity. But he's his compassion crowning us with love. That's what the healing's all about. Let me go now to the beautiful and fitting, and how sweet is this, her response. The fever just dissipates. She goes from what, 104, 105, delirious, to Jesus grabbing her hand, and boom, done. She's there, she's back. She's jumping around, can you picture it? She said, feel my forehead, feel my forehead, feel my forehead, I was just burning up. I mean, what's a... What happened? He And his big brown eyes and that warm, embracing look. Oh, and then what does she do? Look at what she does. Immediately, the fever goes. She springs into action, serving everybody. That is proof and evidence. The only real proof that the heart's been touched is suddenly you want to serve God. You want to serve his people. You want to serve his interests. You want to say thank you with the life he's given you out of all the people with fevers in Israel, out of all the moms in the world. Me, I'm laying there, burning up in a back room. Nobody knows my name. Why me, the son of God, comes to my house, lays hands, grabs my hand, lifts me up. Oh, I'm going to serve, and I'm going to make a feast. Everybody's going to talk about this dinner for weeks, you know? Does anybody need their feet washed? Does anybody need anything? She's running around like a crazy person. Why? She's saying, thank you. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to see me. You didn't have to come back here. You don't have to care about me. There's a lot of people banging at the door right now. And instead, for some reason, he saw you. Why did he even open your heart? Why did he see you? There's 7 billion people, most of who Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many go down that path. Why didn't you? Why? You're in the minority because God saw you. God said, I love that person. I'm choosing that person. I'm working with that person. I'm going to take the burning fever of sin and immorality and a penchant to do the wrong thing and go the wrong way, and I'm going to lift that from you and give you life and treat you better than your sins deserve. And that's why every all of us, we don't have a Christian duty. I can't do this and I can't do that. No, we get up from our bed that's soaked with and stained with all kinds of gunk that the Lord raised us up from, and we say, I have a new life, and I serve God now. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We got the new visitors applauding. This is a good sign. Listen, folks, listen. 15 years ago, doctors tell me 30% chance of living with Hodgkin's lymphoma, failed chemotherapy, Failed radiation. You're down a 30% chance to survive, my doctor said to me. I said, what's left? He said, a bone marrow transplant. I've got three kids. They're 8, 10, and 12. I've got a wife. What can you do? He said, we'll do. We'll do it. You'll be in the hospital for three months at UCSF. God came by my bedside and took my hand. 
I said, this isn't the end for you. I've got something for you to do. And the cancer went away, and it's been away. My doctor told me, stop coming and see me. I'm like, yes, I don't want to ever see you again. No offense. My oncologist said, if you're cured in five years, you're cured. No worries. Why? Why pastors die? Christians die of cancer all the time. Why did he come by my bedside and grab my hand? Of course I'm going to say, Jesus, of course. What do you want me to do? I could throw some verses up and explain it and apply it. I can go see people at their deathbed. I can do weddings and funerals. I can tell people at Starbucks about Jesus. (laughs) I'm just speaking of lattes. You know, whatever. I can do this. And so can you. He who has been forgiven a lot loves a lot when you understand the greatness of what God has done for you. That you just get undone. And you're like just throwing coins out of your pocket like Ebenezer Scrooge. Woo, that was a close one. You know, you just want to be changed. And he's more than happy to do that. That's what she did, praise the Lord. She's a new woman. Let his love make your life a thank you. It's a thank you, right? So that evening after sunset, the people bring Jesus all sorts of people. Now, this is interesting here. News travels fast, and so everybody knows there's a healer in town. He set up shop, and he's open for business. So uh, they have to wait till sunset. You know why? Because they're Jews, and they have understood that they don't work on the Sabbath, The Sabbath isn't over, and the rabbis told them, until you see three stars in the night sky. Then you can carry burdens. So you'll see that they bring people. So they're wanting to carry people. They can't do that. So the text says they're Jews. They waited till the three stars appeared. And then they, they clamored for that front door. I just want you to picture that. The torches, the night, the echoing voices, the holy chaos that that generated, you know. And then one by one, they pull up, and they're telling the story to Jesus, who's smiling and taking his hand before the mom can finish the story about how long it's been going on. And uh, that, he reaches his hand out, bam. And so you have one line of needy people, and you've got another line crowd over here jumping up and down and giving the reports and all of this just amazing thing. Mark is using the language, and he always will, that says that there was nothing too hard for Jesus, that everybody who came with anything, it was the Lord. Nothing was too difficult for him. And so his power could deal with anything. Interesting, verse 34, again, those under the, who were deranged under evil influences um, and not in their right mind, they wanted to speak. The demons wanted to speak and out what the scholars call the messianic secret. The messianic secret was Jesus always saying, not yet, not time. On Palm Sunday, Jesus announces himself because it's time. He has an appointment on that day to be on that cross. And and Daniel, the prophet, gives a mathematical prophetic equation that you can count the days to Palm Sunday and the cross and bingo. From 400 years before Jesus is born, you can do the math in Daniel chapter 9 and you will come out on Palm Sunday. So Jesus is telling everybody, No, 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 including the demons. Be muzzled because they want to out him because timing. Jesus knows Rome will get involved. Things will move too quickly. No one can know until he wants them to know. That's why he muzzles them. And that's why they want to say who he is because we're thinking, what's wrong with that? They're going to say who he is. Hey, this is the son of God. And by the way, (laughs) of course they know him. They're fallen angels. Jesus created them. They know him from the before the flesh days. They know him when they saw him uh, sitting on the throne in heaven as the ruler of the universe. Yeah, they knew who he was. But they weren't allowed to speak because Jesus does not take letters of recommendation from the devil. 
Amen? <laughs> Out. <laughs> All right, I think you get it here. Before we move on, I just like to say I love knowing that I can take those who are loved ones in my life who are burning up with some kind of fever, and I can just, or, you know, people who just need to be brought not to the door of a church, but to the throne of heaven and present them and leave them and lay them there and say, Jesus, let me tell you about this person. I love them. Let me tell you about the care that I have over them and lay them for the Son of God to deal with and just know that he loves them more than I could ever love them. What a peace. And knowing his heart, oh, he wants to grasp the hand, and he will, and he does. Uh, Okay, and then, then morning came, and... And very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where to pray, where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. (laughs) Jesus replied, thank you for the sound effects. (laughs) Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. Check this out. Everyone's looking for you. Uh, Let's leave to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come, to preach. Hmm. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Huge insights here. Now, though Jesus is equal to God in every way, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, he is the fullness of deity in bodily form. He himself makes himself equal to God the Father. This has stumbled. This passage is used by those who stumble into theological error because they can't understand what we call the Trinity. This is not the time for a lecture on what the Trinity is, but they'll ask the question because they know what we believe. Hey, we believe there's one God, and Jesus is God. We call Jesus God. They say, How can Jesus be God if in this passage he's talking to God? Who's he talking to? Himself? The answer to that question is God the Son is speaking to God the Father through the power of God the Holy Spirit. If you want to throw in a bonus point there with the Holy Spirit. These three are one. Jesus gave a great commission. He said, go out and tell the world. And then baptize them in the name, singular. Sound effects again. (laughs) In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. God is mentioned as a father. The father is mentioned as God in many places. The son is mentioned as God in many places. And the Holy Spirit is mentioned as God in many places. And so... Jesus, though he's equal to God, listen, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He has no earthly father. Though he was... <laughs> Lord, help a guy out. <laughs> All right. Isn't it cozy, though, a little bit? You know, as long as there's no leaks. And there is one up here, and it's right near my head, you know. I always just keep preaching and hope that you don't see it. (laughs) So we have a trinity before us. And Jesus has laid down his right to use his divine nature for his own advantage. He has two natures. He is fully human being. He came from a woman's womb. He is fully God. He came from the Holy Spirit without a human father involved. And so Jesus lays down the God side so that he is a perfect model for us as a human being. He needs, he was up late. Look at this. He's the son of God, equal to God in every way. And Jesus needs personal, quiet, quality, soul time with God the Father. If Jesus needs to get alone and be with God. How much more me and you? Now, I know what you're going to think. 
when I ask you, how's your prayer life? You're going to say, well, I pray all the time. I'm always banging out prayers all day long. That's good. It's different than getting up early, going into a closet, taking a walk, going to somewhere where there's no phones, nobody knows where you are, you're alone with the crickets, your own soul, and God. If you are a born-again Christian and you don't have a quality prayer life, you're missing out. This is the cause of many frustrations and problems. Oftentimes, people will come with a marriage that is stuck and emptiness and loneliness and all kinds of sinful habits that they can't break and all of this. And I'll ask the question, what's your prayer life like? Do you have that quality time where you go before the Lord and open your heart? And what is Christianity? A bunch of do's and don'ts, a religion, a philosophy? Stop it. The meaning of being a Christian is being reconciled to a loving God and Father. And, and how can you have a relationship with your loving Father if you don't talk to him? You don't listen to him. You don't spend time. You don't eke out some time. And the morning is the best time to do it. It's quiet. There's no demands on you. You can think clearly. You can open the word, read a psalm, and then just pour it out. Here I am, Father. You can go through the Lord's Prayer. It's really, it gives a nice model for you to follow, to begin with praise and worship, and then to talk about your daily necessities and what's going on with people and things you need to confess so you can find forgiveness, and then your weakness and temptations. I just walk through the prayer in my head. It's lacking, and your life will be lacking. You won't feel like a hypocrite. You'll be replenished. You'll like have a real relationship with God. You'll grow character. You'll get to know him. I just throw it out there. Set your alarm a little bit early. Listen, if you like to pray at the evening, usually you're tired. Usually something's coming, will come up. And, and, and it's hard to aim the arrow after you already shot it. In the morning, you know, you're aiming the arrow of your day. Spending out, spend time hanging out with him. He'll bring you comfort. He'll bring you ideas. He'll renew you. That's what you're longing for. That's why you come up short and you're wondering, what's more? Is there more to this? Yeah. It's called like having a real relationship with God. That means you actually get settled and have quality time with him. So Jesus goes and does it. And you know what? It doesn't matter to him. They're like, where were you? Everyone's looking for you. They're poking their heads in the windows. They're looking at us like we can do anything. Lord, you put us in a predicament. Where are you? And Jesus knows no matter how important you are and everybody needs you for this. Everybody's clamoring around you for this and that and the other thing. Jesus himself knows I'm no good to anybody. If I'm not who I'm supposed to be, and that's with the Father, I need time with my Father. And that comes first before everything else. So listen, it's very flattering when and the world can't function without you. Everyone's looking for you. Right, we hear the same thing. This doesn't stop Jesus from getting up early in the morning and doing the same thing. And they know, now they know where to find him after this. Go out and look, he's talking to the Father, you know. How he has Jesus says, go into your closet, folks. Pray in secret. If you don't have a secret prayer life, you're missing out. Jesus said, the God who sees you in secret will openly reward you. And so I like their attitude. I hear an attitude in there. Everyone's looking for you. And then here's what Jesus says. Time to go. Why? Time to go because the people are going to get the wrong idea. They're all hearing the miracle worker's here. He's, heal. He's here to heal your back. He's here to heal your pain. He's here to do this. That's the wrong idea. He's not here to do a healing crusade. He's here, his words, to preach the gospel. And then those things follow sometimes and sometimes not. But he has the power. But this is why he came. Not to heal our backs, 
but to save our souls. And sometimes he does manifest himself and do the beautiful thing. Jesus prays all the time, and he wants us to pray as well. But this healing thing is just amazing. Sometimes the church, I think a quarter of of Christendom today, is distracted by miracle signs and wonders. And Jesus says, listen, it reminds me of John chapter 6. Jesus did a miracle, fish and loaves of bread. 5,000 people ate till they were satisfied. The next day, they come crowded in for Jesus like a stampede. And Jesus says, I just want to start the conversation by telling you, I know why you're here. You all want the bread. And let me just tell you, that's, a, that's the wrong perspective to have in pursuing me. Do not pursue me for bread and miraculous signs and wonders and things that are temporary. Pursue me as a savior of your soul and the things that are eternal. Pursue me for eternal things. For he came to give us the gospel. Listen, folks. He says to the disciples, greater things will you do when I go to the Father and send the Holy Spirit. Just name me one greater thing. And I'll let you speak. I'll let you speak this morning. Name me one greater thing than opening a man who was born with no eyes. His eyes. Giving him sight. Opening deaf ears, casting out devils, raising a guy who never walked in 38 years, crippled from birth, raising him up, raising a dead person after four days in the grave, calling him out, saying, hey, Lazarus, come out, give me a hug. So the dead man guy comes out. Just give me one thing that's greater than any of that. Just give me one great. What did Jesus mean? When I go and I send the Holy Spirit, you're going to do something eternal. It's called the gospel. You're going to preach the gospel. It's not like opening somebody's eyes, and then he's going to go blind again. He's going to get old, and he's going to go blind, and he's going to die, and those eyes will close. You open ears, they're going to shut again. You heal a back, you, you raise a cripple up, guess what? He's going to fall over and have a heart attack and die. What's the bigger, sorry, <laughs> What's the bigger picture is if you heal a temporary body of some temporal issue and the person's not reconciled to God, what's the point? Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. I came to give my life a ransom. I had a young man, and why am I going off like this? I had a young guy who told me he has the gift of healing. He's so excited. He has healing power. Feel my hands. Feel the hands. They've got the healing power. And I'm like, dude, I don't feel anything. I feel a little sweat, but I don't feel anything else. (laughs) Right, and he's like, I go up to people and I lay hands on them and God is doing amazing work. You're not on the same page as Jesus. You're not doing an amazing work. You think you're doing amazing work. He says, whoops, they got the wrong idea. They think I'm all about healing, healing, healing. I'm about the gospel. And then we'll talk about healing. And sometimes, yes, and yes, pray for healing. Every time I pray for healing, and it's God's prerogative. But you know what? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, 100% every single time you're saved. Because that's the point. But when you call on the name of the Lord for healing, then he decides. He says, what you don't understand, Paul, the apostle, is that this is working something in your heart and life, and I'm using it, and my grace is sufficient for you. Though you've asked me three times, I'm using this. You see, so God has the prerogative in our temporalness and our trials and tribulations and our healings. Pray, believe, he can, he does, he wants to, but he knows best, and he will grab the hand and help you through no matter what he's doing. But the gospel, my friend, don't get Lord off track. The gospel. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified, Paul the apostle. None of this healing talk. Talk about healing after when it makes sense. Amen? Amen. All right. I think you get it. 
Let's move on. Last thing to say. The leper. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. And then a man with leprosy comes to Jesus and begs him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. They saw leprosy as defilement. And in the Bible, the Lord uses it as a metaphor for sin and corruption, moral corruption, though it's a physical ailment. If you're willing, and that's why he says you can make me clean. He doesn't say you could heal me. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand, whoa, and touched. You're not supposed to do that. The man, he says, I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and was cured, and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses, Leviticus, commanded you for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news, and as a result of his uh, well-intentioned disobedience, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet, the people still came to him from everywhere. So this is the last uh, part of chapter one, and it's the last part of our message as well. Jesus cleanses. So we saw Jesus praying, and we also saw Jesus healing, and now we see him cleansing. And so this is uh, just really moving. Leprosy from the Greek word that means scaly to describe the disease, but from the Hebrew word, it means to smite or to strike, because the Hebrews felt that it was a curse and a judgment from God. It is this crazy flesh-eating sort of bacteria. We kind of know what that's like. And uh, it does well with some antibiotics. You had 15 million people today in third world countries mostly still struggle with this. You have to be on like a, a myriad of antibiotics for like a year. It's vicious. It, it just, it rots your flesh and then, then uh, you lose the nerves and the ability to sense fire and those kinds of things. So they would lose uh, digits and things like that. Their nose would collapse. Their, it, it just, everything was oozing and it was terrible. What was worse was the social ramifications they had to be quarantined. You couldn't touch them. This dude had not been touched in a loving way for years. They had to go into a crowd and cry out, unclean, unclean. It was against the Jewish law to come within six feet of a leper and, and possibly a little bit more. So they're isolated. Goodbye to your family. It started with a red little spot. Can you imagine the terror when the little spot started and you've got a little kid and a wife and a, or, or, oh, what a nightmare. And so he, in his desperation, hears, of course, always, that's our job is to tell, hey, there's somebody who can make a difference. He's got power. He talks like nobody else I've ever met, right? He hears. Faith comes from hearing. So he hears about Jesus, and he comes, and he blows through that traditional six-foot barrier, and he throws himself down before God in a human body and says, listen, he's sure about one thing. I know you got the power, right? So sometimes it's easier to believe in God's power than God's mercy. I know you can if you want to, and Jesus smiles, and it says he was filled with compassion. The word there is a strong word. It's usually only for God, and it means to rip the gut, to tear the gut. He was moved. I know you can. And he's oozing, and he has no eyebrows and no eyelashes. You lose all your hair, all of that. It's oozing, he's rotting to death. And he says, I know, I know you can if you want to. And Jesus goes, oh, do I want to? He says, I'm, do you want to? And he says, I want to. Big smile. And then he takes his hand. 
And the guy's like in slow motion, what? You can't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. You're going to get the disease. The nose is springing back. The face is drying out. The skin is coming back. He's watching it happen. And Jesus becomes unclean. To touch an unclean person is to get their uncleanness. It's almost like the schoolyard thing of goodies. You know, you, you, you touched him and it went to you. But that's the gospel, my friend. The sinless one, the pure one, the holy one from heaven without sin, without stain, without leprosy. He touches and he becomes it. He becomes clean and he becomes defiled. And then he'll go to the cross defiled with all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our diseases on him, though he committed not one sin. He's God in a body. And he says, here I am. Take it out on me. Take it out on me. That's why he can do this thing. And now he says, be quiet. Don't tell anybody here so I can keep on working, right? But I do have a mission for you. So let's talk about that. First, he says, don't, don't spring this out here because it's going to create such madness and chaos. I won't be, you'll hinder me. And, and this guy, listen, friends, we do this all the time. There are things that the Holy Spirit will just kind of say, no, no, don't do that. Even though you can justify it. He could. Now, wait a second. All I'm doing is giving glory to Jesus. I'm telling everybody, hey, look at my face. Look, check this out. He did that. He just touched me. I said, are you willing? He said, I am. And he touched me. Look what happened. How could that be wrong? It's wrong because Jesus said, please wait. Don't. I want you to go to Jerusalem first. I got something for you to do. Let me do my work here. When the Holy Spirit just kind of gives you a little kick and something, he just says, red flag. And your mind goes, but, 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 but it's, there's nothing wrong with it. Yes, there is. That's why you have the red flag. That's why you have to tell yourself, now, wait a second here. It's praising Jesus. It's doing this. It did that. You're trying to convince your heart. Your hearts. Don't ever try to justify with your mind something your heart condemns. We do that all the time. He made his list. Check, check. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong, nothing wrong. He went to all his friends. Is this wrong? Is it wrong to tell people that praise Jesus, I'm healed? Oh, and all his friends says, no, absolutely not. And he hindered the work of God because he wasn't sensitive to the still, small voice. Don't do that. Instead, and we close with this, this was going to blow your mind. He said, I don't want you to stir things up here. I want you to stir things up in Jerusalem. I want you to go to Jerusalem to the priest, because there's only one. The high priest is in Jerusalem. I want you to offer sacrifices. There are protocols in the Old Testament. If a guy gets healed of leprosy, none ever were. It's in there to announce that the Messiah is here curing lepers. So go to Jerusalem with an offering, right? And there's a protocol there. Let the priest do the thing as a testimony to them. Who's the priest? Caiaphas, Annas, the two that will condemn him. He's sending missionaries, not just one guy, but all the lepers he cleanses. There's one, one group of 10 that all will go with the offering from Leviticus chapter 14, and that offering is something else. He says, stir them up because he's coming their way. And after all of that, they still rejected him. All these people coming into town. Hey, man, look at me. Look what this is. This Messiah touched me and all of this. Now listen to this. Here's the offering. It's unbelievable. Luke, uh, Leviticus 14. If God had healed a leper, which was never heard of, he goes into the temple before the high priest and he says, check me out. He checks him out. So you look pretty good. And then here's what he did. He said, we can pronounce you clean. Here's what we do. Take two birds. And one was offered as a sacrifice over a clay pot of water. And that bird's blood was mixed 
in the water of the clay pot. And then he says, then we take three ingredients, a piece of cedar wood, a scarlet thread, and a little bit of a hyssop plant known for its medicinal. They used it as a disinfectant. Put that in the mix. Take the live bird, dip it in the mixture, and let it fly free. And then take a little of the blood and sprinkle it on the cleansed leper and pronounce, you are clean. Fly away. <laughs> Let's talk about the ingredients. Clay pots always mean the body. Water inside, the blood. We're talking about what's going to make people healed and cleansed of sin. The blood in the water, the cedar wood. What's wood doing in there? Well, the cross, scholars say, most say made out of cedar. Cedar wood, the cross, a jar, a body, blood, scarlet thread. At the crucifixion, while they're torturing him, they strip him and say, oh, you're a king. Let's bring out a scarlet robe made of what? Scarlet thread. Put it on the king. Put it on the Messiah. Put it on the sin bearer. Put on him a lot of scarlet threads. While he's on the cross agonizing, he says, I thirst. And they offer him up wine vinegar on a soaked on a sponge on the end of a branch. What kind of branch? Of course, what kind of branch is it? A hyssop plant. Check out your Bibles. So the three ingredients, the cross, the robe, the king's robe, the blood, the water. What came out of Jesus' side? Blood and water. How clear. And Jesus is saying to be cleansed of sin and to, to be Free as a bird. No defilement, no sin, no shame, no contagion, no fear. you got to be dipped in the blood and the water. The cross, the work of Christ on the cross has to be touched on your soul. And your soul, not that you know about this and can quote it and teach it to somebody, that that actual blood in some spiritual way has touched on the inside, that's why Jesus says, eat it, eat the bread, drink the cup, because it got to go in. Something has to happen in, or you're not saved, you see. But what a beautiful thing. I mean, we were born lepers, man. We were born that way. We all have it. And Jesus said, I can cure you. It's the work of the cross. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy burdened, I'll give you rest. And the way he does that is through his death on the cross and his resurrection that becomes part and parcel of who we are. The Holy Spirit comes in. So guys, the worship team, come on up here. We are going to close with communion. Just a wonderful picture. You know how many years that had been in effect? Moses wrote it 1,400 years out. From Jesus. 1,400 years, the priests were always scratching their head when they got to that part. When are we ever going to use this? And then they start having to do it. Now listen to me. Caiaphas, Annas, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. For three years, had to do this. Water, blood, wood, scarlet, cloth, hyssop, clean, water, blood, hyssop, scarlet, cedar, wood, you're clean, water, but this is Jesus said as a testimony to them, and a couple of them, it clicked, they got it, Nicodemus got it, Joseph of Arimathea got it, oh, they got it. He wants us all to get it so that we'll all be clean and all be set free. Amen. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us by the Spirit, Lord, to rise up from whatever you've lifted us out of 
to wait on you, to serve you and your people, to be a blessing, to live our lives as a response to this great outpouring of your love. We thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.